Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of James, chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. In this passage, James addresses the relationship between faith and works. Listen. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. If you felt like um, James was drumming at home, then you got the essence of his argument. He basically makes one statement, and then he reinforces it and comes back to it over and over again, that faith without works is dead. It's unproductive. It's sterile. It's useless. Because faith is meant to be something lively, a lively trust in the loving, living God not something nominal or some mere empty affirmation that we make, not some religious practice that we follow. Faith wrongly defined and poorly lived ends up being no faith at all. If someone claims to have such faith but has no deeds to go with it, then what is the value of that? What good does it do? He even offers this question which implies a negative answer. Can such faith save that person? The answer is meant is you don't have to answer. It's obvious. It's a rhetorical question. According to James, there's no salvation for the person who stops short of discipleship, who who says they believe but doesn't ever follow, who says Jesus is right but doesn't actually practice what he teaches. If faith is nothing more than a mental or intellectual assent, 
If it's only expressed through religious ritual, then it's worthless. It has no value. He then says, suppose that you have brothers and sisters in your midst, and James obviously knows they do because he's talked about this already in this book, who, who are lacking life's basics. They need food, they don't have enough food for sustenance, and they don't have enough clothes. Suppose you were to say, I'm praying for you, or go well, go in peace, be blessed, then what good are your words? What value does your prayer offer? The, our ability to respond to the person who has needs is the test of whether our faith means something. James now imagines some dialogue that someone's liable to come forward and say, well, you have deeds, but I have faith, as if they're, as if they're spiritual gifts. And you have one, and I have the other. I'm able to believe the impossible, but you, you make it happen. <laughs> James says, well, then prove your faith without doing anything. It's impossible. You, meanwhile, I'll show you my faith by what I do. The problem with reading James is you go, well, what does he mean? What, what kind of actions is he referring to? It, it's obvious what the point he's making is, but what does he want us to do exactly? Well, I think what he most likely has in mind are, are mere acts of love that are directed toward our neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Ceremony is no substitute for such love. That ought to be the evidence, not the fact that, that we're, we attend to rituals that, that orient us to God, but rather that, we, that we're responsive to God's commands. James now supposes that someone knows the creeds really well. They can recite what's most true about God, and he takes the most orthodox statement of his day, the Lord our God is one. But using this, he really is being tongue-in-cheek because he adds, the demons believe this too, and they tremble. Simply saying God is one doesn't get you very far if it doesn't make a difference in your life. Faith is more than an acceptance of facts it is a commitment to a person who changes our lives by setting us free of our own selfish ambition and self-orientation and self-preservation to truly care for someone else, to pay attention to others. So just as ceremony is no substitute for love, so is orthodoxy. It doesn't matter that you can say it right. The question is, do you get it right? Can you, can you show evidence of what you believe? Now, not all of us believe and love in equal measure. We're just not made that way. We're, um, some of us are better at articulating it than doing it, but we still make our effort and attempts. And then some of us are more inclined to do it, but have difficulty articulating it. 
I had a friend who was like that. His name was Barry, and this was at a previous church. I was in a small group with him. He always struggled to talk about his faith and to just even use the right words. So we would talk about the Bible, and he'd, you know, it'd come to him, and he'd go, mm-hmm, you know, and it's like, I don't really have much to say or share. But I knew there was more than just the fact that his wife went to the church, that he went to the church. I knew it was more than his Catholic background that said, you better be in church every Sunday if you're going to be good. There was something there. And then it came to light when he was elected to be a deacon because Barry was made to serve. And the day he started to care for people of limited mobility or people who were homebound who couldn't come to church, it brought joy to him. And, and when he would... When someone would call from the church and say, hey, there's someone here who's homeless and hungry and they're asking for financial assistance, Barry would leave his work. He was self-employed. He would leave his work and come down to the church and say, let me hear your story. How can I help you? And then Barry was the one that implemented in that particular church. He said, look, he was in the healthcare industry and he, he knew that when people made a transition from the hospital back home, that was not an easy time. So he said, let's see if our deacons can offer support and encouragement and assistance for someone during that period of of recovery. And Barry went on to say he never felt more close to God or his faith more alive than when he was serving as a deacon. People in our culture, young people especially, who are not oriented toward faith or have any Christian belief, they want to go on trips like our decade Mexico mission trip. They want to go serve because they know there's something in us. We're made not to just do for ourselves. We're made to do for others. God designed us that way. And they know that this is true, and and so they want to be part of that, and they'll go and They'll have a wonderful time serving and building a house and interacting with the children and the families that they're building the house for. And they'll start to feel really good about all of this. And then all of a sudden they'll say, you guys keep talking about Jesus. Why is that? What's that got to do with what we're doing here? Then they start to ask the questions and it starts to make sense. That Jesus is the model of someone who gave his life for us, who, who lived to serve. And now suddenly faith takes on a whole new dimension to them. But they open themselves up through the serving, through the actions. I think our culture in particular is, has had enough words, enough talk, enough spiritual Um, alternatives they want to see it in action they want to see the evidence the manifestation of what it is we believe James is relentless you think that that's far enough but he keeps going he says do you want do you want to be shown that faith without actions is useless do you want me to prove it to you do you want some evidence to this and of course, we're saying, no, we get it. But he says, okay, I'll show it to you. 
just in case some of us might be um, willfully ignorant or unteachable in this matter, what he would call the equivalent of being a fool. He says, I'll show you two examples of old. The example of Abraham and the example of Rahab. And according to James, it was through Abraham's actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar that his faith was revealed, that he truly trusted God. Because after all, God said, this is the son through whom you will multiply and become great. And now God seems to be saying, I want you to sacrifice him on an altar. And then similarly, Rahab was a resident of Jericho when the spies from, from the Israelites came across the Jordan to, to scout out the city that they were about to enter the land of the promised land. And she gave them um, safe lodging and helped them understand um, the walls and the system of how the city worked. And she herself became a person of faith. It was her offering of her resources, her own personal safety. She took great risk in demonstrating her faith. James says of both of them that they believed God and it was credited to them as righteousness. In other words, full acceptance with God. Put right with God. You see, a person's considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. And we hear that and we go, that doesn't sound quite right. And hopefully you would be saying that if, you're, if you've been in the Reformed tradition for any time at all. Because the Reformers said the opposite. It is by faith alone that we're made right with God. Not by any works on our part. often said that James and Paul differ and they contradict each other because James' emphasis of work is without any note of grace in it whatsoever. And it's this passage that's most often cited as the division between Paul and James. Any good Lutheran among us would know you don't read the book of James. It's just not needed. You get Luther had little regard for it. He called it straw. Paul argues that salvation is by faith alone, without works. Listen to what he says in Romans. Therefore, we conclude that a person is justified, in other words, made right with God by faith, without deeds of the law. And then in Galatians... 2, 6, no one lives, pardon me, wait a minute, a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus. So what do we do with this? Two Christian leaders advocating two very different points of view. James stresses that deeds and works are evidence of faith. You see that a person is justified by what he or she does not by faith alone. Well, the difference between the two is one of emphasis due to their starting points, and this is very important to understand. Both advocate faith. 
Paul starts with the gift of God's forgiveness, which no one deserves and no one can earn on their own. And that for him is what's essential, and faith is necessary to receive God's forgiveness. James starts with someone who's already made that profession of faith. He's not talking about how someone becomes a Christian, but because they're already a Christian, and he insists that you prove your faith by your deeds, or you're not a Christian at all. Paul also says something very similar in, in that how, how ethics and the, imper- and the uh, imperative side of us, how we're, how we're supposed to live out this life, is a result of our faith. In Ephesians 2.8, he, he says, For it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. And this isn't something that we've accomplished. It's God's doing. It's God's gift to us. It's not by works so that no one has any room to boast. But then he adds this. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You see, it's a result of being a Christian. It's a result of receiving Christ's grace that we then are to live a life of obedience. So a careful and accurate reading of both Paul and James will convince you they don't contradict each other. They truly complement each other. They just do it very differently. What makes James hard to hear is that he lacks any motivation he doesn't say, he, he doesn't offer a lot of encouragement. He doesn't say, you can do it. He just simply says, do it. He sounds like a parent who hasn't learned, who, who only has one child. You know, after the second and third, you just go, please do it. <laughs> I'll give you a cookie. <laughs> you, you know, you're trying to motivate the child. The first one, you just go, I'm the parent, you're going to do this. And then they go, yeah, right. And you learn. But Paul says, our behavior, we want to live like Christ because, not because we're obligated to, but because we've been graced by him. We've, we've been blessed by him. Isn't that going to show forth in a life of gratitude and thankfulness? Aren't we going to love our neighbor not because we have to in order to be right with God, but because that's what it means to be loved by God? You want to share it with someone else. What helped me to to come to understand, um, and Paul, Paul says that, Faith is incomplete without actions, just like James in Galatians 5. He says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That sounds just like James. person who really helped me see this was another Lutheran, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He wrote this, faith is only real when there's obedience, never without it. Because he says, we cheapen grace. The grace that we've been given, we make it meaningless if we think that it makes us right with God, but then it doesn't change us in any way, doesn't transform us. 
He says, that's the only evidence that you've really received God's grace, that it's meaningful, that it makes a difference in your life. And then he ends with, only those who obey can believe. And only those who believe can obey. Like James, Bonhoeffer sees faith evidenced in actions as essential. Obedience to Jesus' command to love and its evidence in our lives is the way the world knows that his claims are true. You ever thought about that? Whether you, whether you carry out deeds of love and show love to a neighbor is the evidence of Christ's presence in this world, of Christ overcoming sin in this world and overcoming death. We are the evidence. When he gets to the end of his argument, James says it this way. In the same way a body and a spirit make a life, so faith and deeds must be united to be authentic for a Christian to live a vital um, whatever other adjective you want to come up with, <laughs> living faith. I like how Eugene Peterson says it. He, he makes it very stark. The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. And then he says this, separate faith and works, you get the same thing, a corpse. Faith will be enacted in us in acts of love for our neighbor. We're not going to get it right every time. Sometimes it's hard, but we have the Spirit of God. James sort of leaves that out, who prompts us and tells us you can do it. I'm going to empower you to do it. You're not going to do this on your own strength and your own motivation. I'm going to work through you. And the result is you don't love someone and then they go, oh, you're the greatest. Say, well, thank you. I wasn't always like this. Um, <laughs> no. When you love someone like that, they give the glory to God. They feel blessed by God. We don't even notice that our works are good or they're affecting a change. Because that's not our motivation. Our motivation is to serve Christ because he has served us well. Amen.